We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Day More NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast coming at you Tuesday afternoon, June 28th. Today we had the introductory press conference for Walker Kessler, Wendell Moore Jr., and Josh Minot, the Wolves' three draft picks. We'll be with the Wolves this season. So on today's show, we'll get into some of what was said during that press conference that I'm sure many of you saw. But I thought some of the most interesting commentary the day came after the press conference when Finch talked in a scrum with reporters, and you might not have got a chance to see that. So we're going to focus on that a bit, just because Finch hadn't had the opportunity to speak with the media like this since the Tim Conley press conference. So this media availability kind of gave him the chance to, I guess, sort of take stock of the roster at the moment, as now they've moved through the draft and they are getting into free agency now. And I, I thought the sentiment of what Finch said kind of was an extension on what Conley said about these draft picks not being expected expected to be immediate contributors and rather, you know, pieces who could contribute more significantly a few years down the line. But but Finch added even more color than that by expressing, you know, where he does expect to see more of that contra- immediate contribution coming from. And I thought he included an interesting name when talking about the internal development with this group. Here's Finch on Tuesday afternoon. Do you have a different perspective on the roster now versus a year ago? It's largely the same, but just after seeing a full season versus yeah. the same. I mean, you know, the, yeah, absolutely. I think we've seen some growth uh, from everybody, our uh, young players as well as our, you know, Cat, Elo, arguably had some of their best seasons ever. Um, Ant continues to come on. And we can talk about this draft class. We can talk about free agency. But the one thing we know for sure is that the internal development of Ant and Jaden, Jalen, those three guys in particular, uh, will be the single biggest driver of how far we can go next year before we do anything else. Yeah. You talked about Jalen, I think, yesterday on the radio as yeah. well. It's, it's a really important year yeah. for him, and, and you want to look for a role. What, I guess, just kind of reflecting on, on his season or taking yeah. his time here, why, why is he so important to it? Well, I mean, we saw in um, in in short you know, stints out there, what he's able to do. He's a real, he's an X factor. He's a game changer. I think everybody needs that. He has the ability to create his own basket. He has the ability to attack switching. He's actually an underrated playmaker. Um, his defense improved. 
uh, quite a bit from the year before when I came here, uh, particularly his fouling rate had dropped, which was most important. Uh, it's just this opportunity. We have a lot of depth and like, thankfully he was there to play when we had injuries to, uh, or absences for COVID or whatever. Um, but now it's, you know, we're trying to figure out how to get a role, a more consistent role for him. Uh, and we want him to feel as a part of, as a part of that, young, our young core as, you know, anybody else that's here. So it's easy to forget sometimes these guys, but everybody helped us at some point last year, uh, played significantly uh, good basketball. The inclusion of Jalen Noel's name in the mix of the young core stands out because, I mean, that's new. We, we typically heard that young core window referred to as just Ant and Jaden, but I think this is logical. And again, it goes in line with what Conley said on draft night about how it usually takes drafted players about, you know, three years to reasonably be expected to contribute in a significant way. I mean, Ant and Jaden, you know, they kind of bucked that trend by being players who contributed to winning in their second year, but most players do take longer than that. And for Noel, this is already going to be his fourth year in the league, which means if you're part of the core, then it's, you know, it's time to go. You know, a lot of times players who are drafted in the second round, like Noel, who went, I think, 43rd overall, they never, they never even reach that bar of being relied on for production. And if a team doesn't believe you can really contribute by year four, you know, you're often moved to another team or sometimes, you know, you're out of the league altogether. And I think at a minimum, this signals that the Wolves believe that Noel passes that bar, right? That that they believe he can contribute to winning now. It signals they're invested in Noel this year and that they believe he will play a role in the internal development that this team needs to, again, be a playoff team next season. And personally, I, I'm with this line of thinking 100%. As Finch said, you know, we have seen extended flashes from Noel over the past two seasons that I think do reasonably suggest that Noel can be relied upon to be a contributor from this young core. Now, Noel has a team option for $1.9 million that the Wolves need to make a decision on tomorrow, June 29th. I think this commentary from Finch not only suggests that we can expect that option to be picked up, but you know it also might be an indication that an extension for Noel is a possibility. I asked Finch about that team option specifically, and, and he said, you know, that's a question for Connolly, but that he is operating under the assumption that Noel will be with the team going forward throughout this summer. And I think the interesting topic that connects to this fate they have in Noel connects to Malik Beasley and what his future with the Wolves might be. You know, Noel, he was on the fringe of the rotation this season. As Finch said, mostly only got opportunities when players were injured or out with COVID. The last season, Noel was often on the outside of the rotation looking in because the Wolves had... D'Angelo Russell, Patrick Beverly, Malik Beasley, Anthony Edwards, even Jordan McLaughlin, often ahead of Noel in that guard pecking order. And all five of those players, you know, they're, they're under contract for next season, which to me would suggest that at least one of those players would need to be moved in order to give Noel the type of role Finch is talking about. And obviously, there are question marks surrounding Russell's future with the organization, but it seems like it would be a pretty big leap to say Noel would be the one you know, that replaces Russell's minutes if D'Lo is in fact traded. I mean, if Russell is traded, the Wolves will almost certainly need to bring back around $30 million in salary to match D'Lo's outgoing $31 million. And you would think it would be reasonable to assume that if Russell's going out in a trade, that at least one guard would be coming back in that deal just simply because the money's so big. 
which would lead me to believe carving out a role for Noel would likely require space to be carved out at the guard position outside of D'Lo. I mean, we know Ant is still going to play 35 minutes a night. Even though Beverly is on an expiring contract, he seems to be relatively absolved from the idea that he could be an outgoing contract in a trade. McLaughlin figures to be in the mix as a backup point guard, which I think just naturally brings us to Beasley, who is also on an expiring contract, as I think probably the most logical candidate to move on from if you are trying to carve out guard minutes. That said, as we talked about during the season, I, I don't see Noel to have all that similar of a game to Beasley. I don't view that at all as a one-for-one replacement. They have very different games with very different primary skill sets. If the Wolves did move on from Beasley, I think they would gravely miss his movement three-point shooting on high volume. That's not a role Noel should be expected to fill. That's not his game. But Noel does provide playmaking and off-the-dribble scoring that Beasley does not. Noel playing more guard next year instead of Beasley would give the Wolves offense you know, more of a more of an ability to pressure the middle of the floor, get to the rim. It would probably cost them some perimeter shooting, but I do know the ability to put more pressure on the rim is something this team is looking for. And I think it's fair to say that Noel is the one player on this roster who has that skill set that doesn't currently have the role to tap into that skill set. I think this commentary from Finch by no means guarantees Beasley's departure. Again, Beasley's shooting is incredibly valuable to this team, but I do think... Beasley's role is a fair place to look when attempting to open up more space for guards. Not only Noel, but also Wendell Moore Jr., right, who figures to play some guard for the Wolves this year if or when he does crack the rotation. And speaking of Wendell Moore, Finch spoke during the press conference about how this roster already has explosive and dynamic core players. And he said what guys like Moore and Kessler and Minot bring are, quote, complementary skills. None of these three guys were the best player on their college team. They were surrounded by explosive, dynamic talent at Auburn, Duke, and Memphis, which I think implies that they will be players who are able to move or able to more easily take on those complementary skill sets so as to fit into a role on a team. Finch really hammered that home when talking about more during his media scrum after the press conference. Here's Finch again said something about Wendell being able to play really well with high-level players. Uh, do, you, do you sense him just kind of fitting seamlessly alongside some of the the, the I do. big three that you I have? Do. Uh, you know, some players are, you know, built to be the guy, and some players play better when there's better players around them mm-hmm. because the things that they do don't translate on a score sheet. They can fill in a lot of cracks. And, um, I think uh, we love his playmaking. Uh, and, you know, he could be... Uh, just a, a heck of a secondary playmaker for us, at times a primary playmaker for us. Um, his ability to guard multiple positions and take the challenge of doing that is really important for us. We have to get better defensively on the ball in particular. Um, and we feel that, that he's uh, somebody who can grow into a high-level two-way player. Similar to what we were talking about with Noel, Moore currently faces a bit of a logjam right on the wing that might get in the way of immediate playing time. Because of that, I think the path more in theory to play earlier rather than later is more of a small forward than a true guard. And the question there is if he can play that position right away. The Wolves have their full guard rotation under contract for next season, but the wing and forward positions have a few potential openings. Josh Akogi, Jake Lehman, and Torian Prince all got minutes at the three for the Wolves last year, and they're all now free agents. 
if none of those players return, there will definitely be minutes available at the three. And depending, you know, how much power forward Jaden McDaniels plays versus small forward will also determine the volume of minutes available there. There's, there's a chance there's minutes. But it, as Finch said, you know, Moore does have experience from playing at Duke alongside high-level talent and fitting into a role, a, a spot that in the rotation that's a role player. You know, he's focused on defending at a high level, more that is, playmaking for teammates and making some open shots. That's what he did at Duke. And he did it around high-level talent. I mean, in Moore's three years at Duke, he played with eight teammates who went on to be drafted. The question about Moore being able to fill in this theoretical role on the wing for the Wolves, I think, is more about how his physicality transfers to the NBA level. You know, is he big enough? Is he athletic enough to guard NBA small forwards? Moore measured six foot four and a quarter inch at the combine without shoes. That's typically what we refer to as a six six player in the NBA. He also has a wingspan that's over seven feet. That's NBA length. He also weighed in at 217, which is not at all frail for that frame. I mean, Moore, he's very similar in statue stature to Moses Moody, who played about half of his minutes at the two and half of his minutes at the three for the Warriors this season. Uh, Jalen Brown, higher level player, also had you know sim- similar physical measurements coming out of college. I think we view him as a two three as well. Or to use Wolves examples, Moore's pretty similar in stature to Josh Kogi. Or if you remember Trevion Graham from a few years ago, guys who are a little undersized in height but do have a seven foot wingspan that makes up for some of that. And like Kogi and Graham, you know, Moore has that real strength built into a frame that's well over two hundred pounds. I mean, I plan on getting into the specifics of Moore's game when I do my film review episodes later this week, but I'll say this now. I'm really interested in watching Moore play in Summer League so as to just get a better understanding or feel of his size and athleticism against NBA-caliber players because how athletic Moore is within that frame I think will go a long way in determining how and where he will be able to play in the NBA. And I think that's just sort of one of those things that you sort of just have to let play out against NBA NBA level competition to to get your answer. All right, I'm going to mix in a quick break here, and then we'll be back with some more commentary from Finch. We'll get into Walker Kessler and what Josh Minot also had to say at their press conferences today as well. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back reacting to the intro press conference for Walker Kessler, Wendell Moore Jr., and Josh Minot. We talked about Wendell Moore before the break, so let's get into Walker Kessler and his first public comments today as a Timberwolf. I think the big thing with Kessler that stood out to me today and just with what I've been hearing is that there is a real belief in the Wolves organization that Kessler will be the type of big who is not limited to the defensive end when it comes to contributing it. They they do believe in his offense. You know, Finch often talks about the value of skilled bigs in the modern NBA. He's obviously had the chance to coach some of the best ones, Nicole Jokic, Anthony Davis, Zion Williamson, Pascal Siakam, obviously Cat. And from what he, what Finch and Conley said at the press conference was that they do kind of more so put Kessler into, again, not at that level, but in the skilled big archetype, more so than just being a Rudy Gobert or a Clint Capella on offense. Again, I... I think they really believe Kessler is going to be able to shoot. Kessler spoke himself at the press conference about how in high school, that's all he really was. He was a stretch big, and that defense was something that he really didn't didn't come together for him until he got to Auburn. Conley even joked at the press conference that that Kessler only shot twenty percent from three last year because it was he was joking because he doesn't think that's a a fair representation of what Kessler is. He talked about how the film of Kessler in high school suggested he had significantly more shooting skill than that Auburn tape suggests. Now, Kessler himself said that just spacing the floor and shooting at a high volume wasn't really his role at Auburn, you know, given that he was playing alongside Jabari Smith, who kind of filled up more of that stretch big role on that team. I think that all gives some reason to believe there might be more untapped offensively than what we see when we just pull, you know, when you just pull up Walker Kessler's college basketball reference page. But even if it isn't shooting, you know, Finch talked about other ways that have stood out to him on film about how Kessler can impact offense at the NBA level. Here's Finch on Kessler's offensive game. With Walker offensively, what do you what do you see in his game that you can work with and, and the potential that he has on that end of the floor? He's got great hands. Mm-hmm. One thing I was watching some film again this morning, I, he catches a lot of really tough passes. Mm-hmm. Um, he does a good job of keeping the ball up high and finishing. Um, I think he can be a really good playmaker in the pocket once we, you know, kind of educate him on his reads. I think that's something he can really add to his game. Um, and just love the way he gets up and down the floor. I think with Kessler, we're looking at four different ways he can theoretically impact the game offensively. One is that potential to space the floor with his shooting. But then there's also the ability to play as the role man as not only a lob threat, but as a playmaker off the role. Thirdly, you know, there's, there is Kessler's ability to play in transition. He can get out and run the floor as a seven-footer. There's reason to believe he brings real value there. And then, of course, there's offensive rebounding that Kessler should bring right away. I think we will see that ability to play in transition and get on the offensive glass right away from Kessler starting at Summer League. Those are already offensive skills that seem baked into his game's DNA. The playmaking as a role man, you know, that will be a skill he needs to learn. As Finch said, that'll be about teaching him the reads and then about Kessler applying them. We'll see how long that takes. 
and and the shooting is hopefully something that comes as you know Kessler himself refocuses on that part of his game and working with an NBA level player development program you know that should only help speed up that process the one part of Kessler's offensive game that was not brought up by Finch or by Conley was Kessler's ability to post up and that's because that really is not a part of Kessler's game you know he took very few shots out of post-up situations in college and that's in part due to the fact that in those post situations he was really inefficient at Auburn 0.737 points per possession and post-ups last year per synergy which is a very low number I mean at the same time, that said, if, if you had to choose one skill set not to have as a modern NBA big, I think you would choose post-ups. That's just due to that style of action being increasingly inefficient and rare around the league these days. I just looked it up before this. Only 39 players in the NBA took over 100 shots in post-up situations last year. And of those 39 players, only 13 of them generated over a point per, point per possession in those actions. And that's kind of right the bar of is this a profitable action or not? And of those 13 players, only five of them were centers. Nicole Jokic, Jared Allen, Joel Embiid, DeAndre Ayton, and Avica Zubat. So even Kat, he didn't eclipse that point per possession bar in post-ups. And Walker Kessler, he likely never will either. He'll he'll probably rarely be asked to even post up at all. It's just not his skill set. On the offensive side of the ball, he's just not your old school back to the basket center at all, which maybe doesn't fit the image of a big, you know, seven foot dude, but he, he fits that mold more so, or the, I guess the expectation of a seven foot one, seven foot two guy on the defensive side of the ball. Kessler, there is your more, you know, traditional rim protecting center. It's obviously well-documented that Kessler was elite at Auburn when it came to defending the rim. I think the more looming question with Kessler is how he fits in schematically with the Wolves on that side of the floor. You know, what type of coverages can he be put in? As we talk about all the time, the Wolves employed one of the most aggressive defensive schemes in the league last year, which really demanded the bigs to get out on the perimeter and move. You know, Kessler was only asked to do that at Auburn occasionally. And there are certainly fair questions to be asked about how he'll be able to execute that at the NBA level. I think one of the questions there is just how, where are they going to ask Kessler to play? How much will they ask Kessler to get out and defend in space? Will they ask Kessler to play in a high wall concept like they did with Towns and Nas Reed last season? Or is it okay if when Kessler's in the game to just employ a different defensive strategy that asks Kessler to stay back towards the rim? The answer to those questions, I think, will greatly influence how much Kessler is able to be on the floor this year. I asked Finch about those different types of defensive roles Kessler might be asked to be put in this season for the Wolves. Does Walker uh, help you diversify the ways you can play defense, or do you believe he can kind of play defense the way that you guys did last year, too, or the way Carl did? Still going on about the drop coverage, aren't we? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, as you see in the playoffs right now, you have to be able to guard a multitude of ways, for sure. And, um, yeah, I think uh, he's got the ability. Um, it still takes great feel. A lot of young uh, bigs struggle with uh, drop coverage because of, um, you know, there's just so much feel that goes into it when to when to stand your ground, when to keep retreating. Um, you know, and then elite bigs can do everything. They can drop, they can contest, and they can still rebound out of it. Um, so we'll see what he can do. Uh, but we do like the fact that he can get up and also be aggressive and 
you know, being aggressive is certainly at the point of attack is kind of what our defense rested on this year. So uh, something we still want to lean into. It will be really interesting in Summer League to see what they ask Kessler to do defensively. Will they ask him to just be that prototypical rim defender or will they start testing his ability to get out on the perimeter in a more aggressive style? I, I don't know the answer to that. One thing I will say with Finch is I don't think he's married to this style of defense being the main style. Finch isn't the type of coach who chooses a style of play and demands the roster adjust to play that scheme. He's the opposite. He's the type of coach who looks at the skill set, skill sets of his roster and chooses a style of play based on those skills. That's who Finch is as a coach. That's that's what having coached overseas and in the G League forced him to do. I remember Finch telling me once that one of his teams in Europe started three centers. Not because that was ideal, but because those three centers were like three of his four best players on that roster. So he put he put that roster together to play a style of play that beat up opponents with size. And can then conversely, right, in Houston with the G League team, he did the opposite with having a smaller roster that was best suited to play with pace and get up a bunch of bunch of threes. He had Finch is the coach who adjusts to his roster. So, yes, there he did say he wants the high wall to remain a primary concept for them. But I really do think Finch and Mike Nori and Elston Turner will sit down once free agency is over to make a decision of how to best play defense once then they have a better idea of what next season's roster will look like. But at a minimum, in Walker Kessler, Finch and his staff have a player that has the size and a defensive skill set that unlocks some defensive options that they just didn't have a season ago. As for Josh Minot, naturally, you know, he fell a little into the background of today's presser just because, you know, he was a second-round pick next to two guys who went in the first round, and, you know, he figures to have those guys figure to have a more immediate path to minutes than Minot does. But when Minot spoke, he did describe himself as an effort and hustle player who wants to fit in as an overall team player. Similar to Kessler and more, Minot is a complementary skill set guy who forecasts as a role player. I think the one difference with Minot, as I understand it, is he's pretty clearly the best athlete of those three players on the stage. And with that always comes some natural upside, even if recognizing that upside isn't exactly likely as a second-round pick. And much like with Moore, I, I'm really interested to see how Minot's game looks against NBA-caliber talent in Summer League. You know, how much does that athleticism pop in that environment? You know, Minot, he didn't get measured at the NBA Combine, so we don't exactly know his size, but the word is, you know, he's 6'9 with a 7-foot-plus wingspan, albeit, you know, a skinny 200-pound frame, I will say it looked like he was significantly taller than Wendell Moore at the press conference, who, again, will be listed as a 6'6 player in the league. So you do, we are getting real NBA size from Josh Minot. But the path to minutes, or the path to Minot getting real minutes, is likely significantly longer than it is for Kessler or Moore. He'll be a guy who likely cuts his teeth in the G League next season. And, you know, at 19 years old, he doesn't turn... 20 even till late November, I think that's fine. The expectation with Minot should be that it will take a while for the necessary skills to really stick to his long and athletic frame. So we'll see. The last thing I want to throw in here is Finch commenting, commenting today on Cat and Cat's ability to sign a Supermax contract extension in July. Here's what Finch had to say when asked about the big picture going into free agency on Friday and also 
his hopes with that extension for Towns. What are the big picture ideas you look at as a product? You know, keep adding guys that can help us win the, you know, in the playoffs. You know, um, keep getting two-way guys, keep getting, uh, if, we, if there's any game changers out there, we'll certainly identify those. Um, but uh, yeah, just figure out where the holes are and keep plugging them. Carl's up for a big extension. How much are you hoping that that, that, that gets done and, and that he's a part of this franchise yeah. secure going forward? I think uh, I mean, it's, it's all of our hopes, really. I mean, we know he's happy. Uh, we were extremely happy for him, uh, for all NBA, and, and the ability to have this extension. And I know he worked hard for it. I know he's excited. So I think it'd be a good moment, special moment for him and for this organization. As we talked about before, that Supermax extension for Towns would be worth $211 million over four years, and that would be in addition to the two years and $70 million that remain on Cat's current contract. I mean, every indication seems that the expectation is for Towns to sign that extension. We'll see if it's actually for every dollar of that $211 million, or maybe the final year of that deal, which will be worth $58 million. Might that be a team option? Um, I'm sure that's something that will, they will try to negotiate in there. But as of today, I think the expectation should be that Towns does tack on four more years, which would keep him under contract through the 2027-28 season. That's way down the road. And that would total $281 million if he does sign the Supermax in addition. Uh, $281 million over the next six years once you combined the two current years on the Max with the four years on the Supermax. And then in the first part of that clip from Finch, too, I thought that was interesting as well. He said they will be poking around in July for two-way players and will keep their eyes open for a game-changer move if that does you know, become made available on the trade market at a fair price. I think to the two-way player point, that would most likely be through the use of the mid-level exception, which would allow the Wolves to go out and sign a free agent for up to $10.4 million a year. And then to the game-changer point, uh, if that were to come to fruition, that would have to come via trade again they can only sign a free agent up to 10 million with that mid-level because they are already over the salary cap with the roster they have and obviously they just aren't really game changers to be had for for 10 million so that game changer would have to come would have to be acquired by sending out matching salary in a trade i think if we're talking about a game changer at you know 15 to 20 million which is like the Dejounte murray range you know that would that would more likely require a Beasley going out in a trade, right? Because Beasley's making that 15, 16 million there. And then for a more expensive player, well, that would require D'Angelo Russell being in the deal, or it would require Beasley and some combination of other salaries on the Wolves' current roster that, you know, kind of combine together to help get you to that $30 million threshold. I mean, I don't, I, it's so hard with specific names. Um, at either of those fresh thresholds, there's there's so much noise this time of year that it's you know it's hard to say what names could even really be in the mix there. And and when we're here, when we're talking for the game changer, when we're talking about trades, I mean we don't even get to sort of pare it down to a nice little free agent list. It could be you know it could be anybody, but but players both at the fifteen million and thirty million dollar thresholds, they do get moved every offseason. It will just come down to finding a player at those thresholds that they're interested in. And then on top of that, you know, convincing whichever team you're trading with to be interested in the players you'll be sending out. Now that's that's often the hardest part of trades. So we'll see there too. I, I think this press conference kind of, it 
it puts the first pin in the offseason, right? Like the draft is done. This is who they got. The next step is the trading and offseason window that opens up on Friday. Well, that will come with its with its own storylines. And then right after that, we're just 10 days away from the next step, which is the Wolves' first summer league game on July 8th. So plenty more to come this offseason with the Wolves. And along those lines, I'll have a lot more for you the rest of this week. On Wednesday afternoon, I'll be recording again with Britt Robson, reacting to some of what was said today um, at the press conference. And and later in the week, I'll have film review episodes with Will DeBerg. We'll get into what the two of us saw from Walker Kessler and Wendell Moore Jr. in their film at Auburn and Duke. And then, of course, if anything else crazy in the coming days happens, hopefully uh, we'll be able to cover that too before the 4th of July. We are here in a little hot pocket of Wolves news uh, over the next few weeks. And I'm looking forward to, to talking about it here in the lead up to free agency and, and throughout Summer League. So again, I'll be back with Britt on Wednesday. So look for that in your feeds Wednesday evening and then more to come from there. Until then, I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you're dancing like nobody else around, Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.